Blog Talk Radio. All right, well, let's take a songbook tonight and let's stand together. And, and this is going to be real easy to find. We're going to do three pages in a row, I mean, four pages in a row tonight. Turn to 321. 321 tonight. Sound the battle cry. Down the battle cry, see the foe is high, raise the standard high for the Lord. Gird your armor on, stand firm, everyone, rest your cause upon his holy word. Rousing soldiers, rally round the banner, ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna, Christ is captain of the mighty throng. Strong to meet the foe, marching on we go, while our cause we know must prevail. Shield and banner bright, gleaming in the light, battling for the right we ne'er can fail. Rousing soldiers, Rally round the banner, ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna, Christ is captain of the mighty throne. O thou God of all, hear us when we call, help us one and all by thy grace. When the battle blood and the victory's won, lay we wear the crown before thy face. Rousing soldiers, rally round the banner, ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna, Christ is captain of the mighty throng. Praise God. Amen. I tell you, we're in, a, we're in a battle, whether we realize it or not tonight. We are in a battle, uh, a spiritual battle. We are going to, not too long from now, if things don't change, be in a physical battle for our very existence if we don't change things in America. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to be vigilant in our prayer life. We've got to be vigilant. Uh, the only way we can turn the tide is one by one. Only way you can turn the tide is by making somebody else around you a Christian. That's what we've failed to realize in America for a long time. We can't change it through politics and through policies. It comes by a person becoming a child of God, and suddenly they don't hate anymore. They love, and they want to do good instead of want to destroy. And we've we've missed that, and, and that's why our country's suffering. We're shutting down. We're shutting down church houses and opening up bar rooms and things of that nature, and opening up places that that won't benefit anybody. Uh, you know, you, you you can go anywhere in any town and find fast food joints thriving, but you can find a church starving to death. People feeding their bellies and not feeding their souls. But anyway, thought I'd say all that, and I had that heavy on my heart. But anyway, uh, prayer requests. Prayer requests tonight. Do we have any? I am. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Absolutely. We need to pray for the model. She has spots in her eye. She got Yeah, but, but she'll be all right. Yeah. Well, she's tougher than me because the doctor to come to me with a needle in my eye, she heal out that of China. I don't, I, anybody going to stick a needle in my eye? <laughs> she's tougher than me. All right. Anybody else tonight? Prayer requests. Nobody? Everybody else all right? How y'all feeling back here? Okay, well, praise God. That's good. All right, unspoken. Okay. Um, yeah, I got I got several unspoken, but, you know, God, I see God working some things out that I've been praying about, and I just want to give him glory for it. He, I ain't got to tell you what it is. Uh, he's working in the midst of it, and I know that he is, and I want to praise his name tonight for what he's doing. All right. Um Let's uh, try to think if we got anything coming up. we anything coming up that I'm not thinking about? Okay. Well, praise God. Let's have a good Wednesday night service. Amen. Let's just get ready to meet with the Lord tonight. Please lift up Scott in prayer. Lift up uh, Miss Nell in prayer. She had her shot yesterday, and uh, she's sore tonight. That's why they're not here. 
Shirley told me ahead of time they probably wouldn't want to be. So pray for them and uh, and everybody else. Pray for Miss uh, Miss Charlotte. She's listening in tonight. And uh, let's just lift up everybody else with, with needs in prayer tonight because we've certainly got folks around us that have them. But Robert, lead us in, in prayer tonight. <laughs> Amen. You be seated. Standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of God. 
promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit call, listening in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, Standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. All right, 324. It's the shortest song service we've had in a long time. We're zipping through them tonight, amen. 324. Take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of it will joy and comfort give you. Take it then wherever you go. Precious name, oh, have faith. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh, have faith. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Take the name of Jesus. As a shield from every snare, if temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name of Jesus, how it thrills our souls with joy. When his loving arms receive us, and his songs are comes in joy. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of him. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. At the name of Jesus bowing, falling prostrate at his feet. King of kings and heaven crown him when our journey is complete. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me. Amen. I will sing it tonight, brother. I'll tell you what, I will. I'll just sing it tonight. Amen. Ain't going to hurt a thing sing it tonight. Uh, y'all pray for me, though. Because, again, I ain't never, I don't know that I ever really finished it in front of nobody. So, <clears throat> but uh, I, I, I'll tell you how this how this came to be. I was mowing. And our mower, I guess, was playing playing a tune in B minor <laughs> because it kept, it kept droning on. And when it was droning on, I thought, man, I got that old high, lonesome sound, like an old bluegrass song. And so I start singing, on heaven shore, on heaven shore, while I'm mowing, just singing that back and forth over and over. And uh, pretty soon I had a verse wrote to it. I had a chorus wrote, and then I wrote a verse to it. And I messed around until yesterday, and uh, I was sitting there yesterday, and I thought, I'm going to finish this song. So, And I and I, I called it finished. It may not be, but I, I think it's going to be all right. But anyway, y'all, y'all pray for me. It's the first time I played it anywhere. It's called On Heaven Shore. Oh, on heaven's shore. 
and we'll praise you and give you the glory and magnify our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And it's good to be in church with you tonight. It really is. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Before we start, I'm gonna, I want to just mention that we, we've kind of been we've kind of been looking through scriptures that kind of uh, kind of balance the righteous and, and and the wicked and righteous and the wicked. Well, it's kind of a similar uh, situation in chapter 20, but it's really looking at our life and our conduct, how we live and how we how we how we deal with things. And you know, it's a good question to ask somebody. How's your conduct? I remember seeing on TV here a while back. It was this I say here a while back, probably ten years ago. But if somebody on on that uh, that Larry's Country Diner, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've watched TV in the last ten years. Uh, if you, maybe you don't, but anyway, it was one, on like on Nashville Network, what used to be Nashville Network or whatever. They, they have Larry's Country Diner where they have some old country singers and gospel singers come through, and they got comedic stuff. And anyway, it's set up like a little diner or whatnot. And uh, they had a fellow in there, and he was handing out buttons. And these buttons said, how's your conduct? And he was explaining that nobody talks like that anymore. Nobody used that word, conduct. That's an old-timey word, you know. But but that might be a question you got asked 50, 100 years ago. How's your conduct, son? And what does it mean? What does your conduct mean? Well, it, in a general sense, it means your personal behavior. How are you acting? It means your course of actions, your deportment. That's another word we don't hear much anymore. Uh, apl- applicable equally to a good or bad course of action. So you can have good conduct or bad conduct. Uh, you can have laudable conduct, detestable conduct. But the word seems originally to have been followed with things like life, actions, affairs, or other things, such as your as your conduct of your life, the conduct of your actions, the conduct of your affairs. Uh, again, it means how are you conducting yourself? How are you dealing with things? And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We'll start to look at. And right off the bat, there's a good one right here. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Well, God, tell us how you really feel about it. God didn't hold nothing back, did he? How? I want. I think it's okay for you to drink a little bit every now and then. What's God say? God said, "Wine's a mocker, strong drinks raging, and whosoever's deceived thereby is not wise." God, you calling me dumb? If you're drinking, yes. If you think it's okay to drink, then yes, God's calling you dumb. He said you're not wise. Okay, wine is a mocker, strong drink. Drink is raging. Well, this is true in at least two senses of the of the word. First of all, alcohol mocks and fights with those who abuse it in any sense of the word, okay? So if if you drink, it's going to make a fool out of you. That's what, what we're saying, okay? And second of all, alcohol leads somebody to be a mocker or a brawler. You want to let somebody get mouthy, just let them start drinking. And, and their, true, their true inner feelings will come out, and they will talk stuff and get in people's faces and... Boy, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just going to go ahead and start off tonight by saying this. You know, for years I wasn't in the ministry. For years I was living for me. For years I was chasing after a dream of being a, a country music singer. And, and you know, and I played in bars, honky-tonks, and whatever you name it. I mean, I, I've been there. I've seen that. I've watched a million drunks do a million stupid things. I've watched parking lot fights. I've watched people puking in trash cans. I've seen it. I know what alcohol will do. There ain't no sugar coating it. I grew up with alcohol in the house in my daddy's house. I grew up watching my daddy come in at 2 o'clock in the morning, couldn't hardly get in the house. And if somebody's watching this tonight and loves my daddy, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth the way I saw it. I, I remember him coming in and, and being so drunk, he 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 got abusive. Then he'd be, he was abusive with me. He was abusive with my stepmother. And why did he get that way? Because he was drunk. He wouldn't be that way otherwise. He was a nice guy when he wasn't drinking, you know. Again, it's a mocker. It'll make you into somebody that you aren't ordinarily, and uh, it, and it'll lead you to be a brawler. I, I mean, he got in fights a lot when he was younger, and he was always ready to fight. Why? Because he'd been drinking, uh, you know. And and too many men and women have their lives dominated by the mockery and the brawling of alcohol. It controls them. 
It mocks the drunkard. It makes a fool out of the drunkard. It if they, it promises them pleasure. It has to. Or they wouldn't drive to the liquor store. If they didn't think they're going to get some out of it, what are they going for? But it pays them back. As the Bible says, as at, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Well, if you've ever seen anybody that got snake bit, they didn't have a good day after that. When they got snake bit, they started getting... They, they started. They started swelling, and they started. They started getting in pain and agony. It didn't bring anything good into their life. God's using that as a picture of it, it's. You know, you may you may you may look like you're going to be all right for a little while, but boy, when that venom hits you, it's going to take you down. And and people think, oh, I'll be all right drinking. I'll be all right. I'll be all right until they until they until they run off a, a bridge somewhere and crash the car and blow up in flames or. Or they cross that line and smack into an 18-wheeler, and that's the last thing they remember before they roast in hell. I'm telling you right now, it ain't never anything good comes out of drinking. Nobody, I never heard anybody say, boy, I'm glad I pulled that drunk last night. Woo, I feel so good this morning after I drank that case of beer. No. Nobody ever wakes up bragging on how good that tequila made them feel. No. They feel like they got hit in the head with a tire iron. That's what they feel. Amen, their breath tastes like the bottom of that fire. I can tell you right now, it ain't a good feeling. Amen, it bites like a serpent. It wants to destroy them. Adam Clark said, it's a mocker. It deceives by its fragrance. Well, they work in bartenders. I tell you what, they, they, they're, they are really like magicians because they can take something that tastes awful and they add enough sweet stuff to it and mix it and stir it enough, shake it enough, they make it where it's almost palatable to drink. But it's really not good. That's why they have to make all that fruit junk and all them different flavors and stuff in there. They're trying to cover up something you wouldn't drink ordinarily. Amen? It, it, it's not good. It, it, it deceives by its fragrance. Oh, it smells a fruity drink. It smells so good. It intoxicates you because it's strong. But in the end, it renders you ridiculous. It ain't, it ain't. It ain't nothing good about it. Amen. Strong drink. The Bible says wine's a mocker and strong drink. Somebody said, well, "What does that mean?" Well, strong drink is all kinds of drink that will alienate the understanding of a man and make him drunk. Whether it's it's ale, beer, cider, hard liquor, it don't make no difference. Moonshine, it don't make no difference. What it is, it all has the same effect. It disables the governor of your life that helps you make decisions. It, it it puts you in a position where you can't make rational decisions. So you do whatever you feel like doing, and when we're doing what we feel like doing, we know that we're our, our be the best part of us is not in command. Amen? When feelings are leading, we're in trouble, whether you're sober or you're not. If you're leading your life by your feelings, you're going to make a mistake. And when a person gets drunk, that's what they do. Because listen, logic has gone out the window. You have disabled the you've disabled the captain and told him to get out the captain's chair and the liquor bottle's in it. Amen. And it says it, somebody said it it, it it means uh no wait a minute, I'm jumped ahead myself. Whosoever is therefore whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And, and where do we find wisdom in this? Wisdom is show, wisdom shows up in the ability to not be led astray by alcohol. And so somebody says, come on, man, get your drink. Come on. He says, no, I don't fool with that. That's when wisdom shows up. No, I never touch that stuff. That stuff's, that stuff's awful. I don't want that. That's when wisdom shows up. But, you know, for a lot of people, for most people, wisdom is not drinking at all, especially Somebody who's uh, in a church, pastor, in leadership, somebody who's teaching Sunday school, somebody who's in any other kind of leadership and ministry, they ain't got no business drinking at all. Amen? You say, well, what if I ain't in ministry? What if I ain't leadership? You ain't got no business drinking at all either, but you especially ain't got no business drinking if you're in leadership. All right? For other people, again, I don't, I don't, I don't believe anybody ought to be drunk. But, I, but listen, it, it, here's the thing. You, you may say, well, you know, preacher, I, I understand you feel that way, but I can have one drink where once in a while and it not affect me. If that's the case, hey, more power to you. If, if you if, if you got the wherewithal 
to, to be able to take one drink every night once in a while and, and it don't ever affect you and you ain't got to have another one, you ain't got to have another That's between you and God. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think it's smart. And I don't think it's smart for, for a number of reasons. Number one, why do you need poison in your body? Number two, uh, how is it helping you? Number three, if somebody sees you doing it, are they going to think good of you or better? I mean, I, I just, I mean, th- th- there's, there's other ways. There's other ways to relax besides drinking alcohol. Uh, believe you me, I, listen, I, I, I tried it. When I was younger, I tried it. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I, I could never, I could never understand why somebody want to lose control of themselves. I never liked being out of control. I was always the one standing there holding one that was half warm, half, half full and warm, and didn't want it to begin with, but holding it because everybody else had one, and that was wrong too. Amen. Listen, I'm talking about back before I was in the ministry, but I'm telling you, I didn't want it then. It tasted awful. Amen. Y'all know how alcohol is made, literally? Yeast. Swallowed sugar. And you know what it does? It urinates alcohol. Wonder why it's that color, huh? (laughs) That's that's kind of the process. I mean, I mean, that's not technical, but that's exactly what happens. It swallows the sugar. It converts it into alcohol. Nobody calls it converting it into alcohol. Urination, but I mean, it's basically that's basically it. So, uh, I mean, why would anybody want to drink that? Then it's not putting off a good product; it's putting off something toxic to your system, and your system fights it and it makes you sick. I mean, it makes you people want to throw up. They drink too much of it. It's obvious it's poison. <clears throat> Whoever's deceived thereby, God says, it'll deceive you. The spell it casts is so strong that the one who's a slave to it. Returns to be mocked over and over and over. I mean, yeah, last night you was, you was hugging the commode lid and you you sick as a dog, swearing if God ever let you live through this, you'd never touch it again. And yet look at them back the next day, they're going back getting them another. How the dog that bit me? Well, one of these days that dog going to tear you to pieces. Bible says the one that's deceived thereby is not wise. When the wine goes in, the wisdom goes out. Somebody said they're in the habit of drinking the outs. They drink all the smarts out of their head. They drink all the money out of their wallet. Amen. And, and yeah, you you drink, you're going to end up losing everything you got. It'll make a fool out of you. I can tell you right now, I'm thinking of somebody in particular in my mind, somebody that I used to be around him, he's, he's, he's dead now, but... But when I was around him, every time I get around this person, individual, uh, particular individual, he 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 all oh, he be, he be drinking, and he put his arm on me, I love you, I love you so much, and be trying to kiss me and stuff. Man, this is somebody I, I was obviously connected to, or I would have talked him one. But but this is somebody in extended family years ago, and he'd be trying to kiss me. I would get back out of my face, man. I love you, man. You are you sing so good. I love you. I mean just. I can't stand that. Ain't nothing worse than a drunk who won't get out of your face. They make a fool of themselves, and they're doing it. Why? They wouldn't be doing that if they weren't drunk. They're just, they just presenting their love to you. You're the greatest thing in the world. I used to have, I used to have somebody call me up at night drunk and tell me what a good preacher I was. I'm dead serious. What it'll do to you. You're the best preacher. I thought, boy, what a compliment. <laughs> what, what, you got to get drunk to feel that way. I think, well, hallelujah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't believe it was true. But, <laughs> but you know, again, somebody get drunk, they tell you what they want, what they what they think you want to hear. But uh, it's easy to make a make a to make a alcohol a bad habit. It's real easy. Uh, all you got to do is start. And it can. It, it, some people just latches on to it, and they can't turn loose of it, no matter what they do. I, it didn't happen that way with me. Praise God. But you know what? The person never knows if they're going to be one of them people or not until they start, and then it's too late. So it, it, it's best to avoid it altogether. And I know people turn back to what in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. All this same. Well, let's look at the Old Testament for just a minute. In the Old Testament, the use of alcohol was not prohibited. And I know you think what. It was not prohibited. It was used regularly, matter of fact, in festivals and celebrations. But to get drunk, to get intoxicated, was considered a big no-no. 
They weren't drinking to get drunk. What they were doing was having a little small sip of something with, with, with what they were eating, and they never got intoxicated. But I'm, I'm telling you what people do today. They go to the liquor store. They're going to get intoxicated. But in the Old Testament where you see this, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be fair and show you what it is. Uh, you know, again, uh, Proverbs 23, 20 and 21, listen to what it says about alcohol. Be not among wine-bibbers. That means people sit there and drink, and drink, and drink, and drink. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. That's people that go, man, I'm going to drink all the liquor I can drink. I'm going to eat all the food I can eat. I'm going to get full, and I'm going to get drunk. That's what they're talking about there. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe clothe the man with rags. And then Proverbs 31, 4 through 7 it says, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Why? What's the, what's the big deal about a king or a prince? It says, lest they drink and forget the law. You got all that power, and yet you lose control of your senses. Well, you can do something terrible in a hurry. You, you, you can have a whole bunch of people killed just because you get mad because you're drunk. Just like that. And so you can't bring them back. Again. A man get drunk, he may go in. His wife said, what are you doing drunk in the middle? Don't talk to me, woman. Smack, crash. He's dead. All because he got, went and got a bottle of liquor. You know, there have been a, many a man woke up in a, in a jail cell, found out he killed his wife the night before because he got drunk. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. And the Bible says, let's say drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Yeah, you can't make good decisions when you're drunk. Give strong drink. Now, this is weird. Give strong drink unto him that's ready to perish. Well, isn't that kind of like giving somebody Oxycontin if they're dying with cancer and, they, and they're hurting so bad? That's kind of what the word's saying there. You get, if somebody, somebody's on their deathbed and they're in agony, just give them some alcohol to get them numbed out or passed out where they can't feel it no more. I understand that. And I, I understand. I accept that. But that's somebody that ain't going to get up and have a Christian testimony and try to live a life before somebody. That's somebody who's dying, and they're trying to get some relief. And then he says, and wine to those that be of heavy hearts. Again, what do we give people these days? We give them all kinds of cocktails and pills and everything if they're depressed. But God's saying, listen, if, 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 I guess he needs to pass out for a while and quit whining. I, I guess that's doing well. But he ain't going to do no good for nobody else to be sitting there whining and and crying, but again, he said that he remember his misery no more. This this is not people there's much hope for, but for those who who there was hope for, God didn't want them doing these things. These two aspects of wine, the use of wine and its abuse, its benefits and its curse, its acceptance in God's sight and its abhorrence in God's sight, they're both interwoven into the Old Testament. And, And as we see, and I'll show you a few places, all right, and if we don't get no further than two or three verses tonight, it ain't no big deal. Um, two aspects. Let's look at it right now. Number one, we see that it may gladden the heart of man. Wine, the Bible says. One, Psalm 104.15 says, and wine that maketh glad the heart of men. And and, and it's, no, it's no no lie. When a man has a, has a few sips of wine, suddenly he feels a little warmer than he did before. I'm not promoting that. I'm just telling you that's what God's talking about there. But it also says it can cause his mind to error. Isaiah 28, 7 says, But they also have erred through wine, and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Okay. You say, what? Well, see, God's promoting wine because he said it makes your heart glad. But he also says it makes your mind make terrible decisions. So you think it's worth it to have a glad heart making terrible decisions? I don't think so. Okay. The Bible also says that it's association with making merry. Merriment. Ecclesiastes 10, 19 says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry. Okay. So, again... Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I, you go into a bar, there's a lot of laughter and a lot of chattering going on. People are all giddy and happy, right? They're not at the end of the night, but they are while all they're doing while they're doing, having their little time and having their little going on. So it's associated with a with a with a happy time like that. But it also can be associated with anger. 
Isaiah 5.11 says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. In other words, they go into a rage and end up going off on somebody and, and doing some violent harm to somebody. So it can make you happy, but it can also make you extremely violent. So I don't want to run the risk of feeling happy for a few minutes and then wind up later on hurting somebody. So, again, it's not worth it. God's saying by showing you both sides, he's saying it ain't worth it. All right? Look at what it can be used to do. It can be used to get people in terrible, terrible trouble. In Genesis nine twenty one, we read about Noah. The Bible said, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. He ended up... Some, some kind of something happened between him and Ham in that tent that the Bible doesn't clearly, explicitly tell us what happened, but we know it was pretty doggone terrible because Ham and his whole, whole people after him was cursed because of what he did. Alcohol was involved. Say, what happened? I don't know, but alcohol was involved. That tells me pretty much what I need to know. But then again, you take another example. In the hands of Melchizedek, he used it to honor Abraham. In Genesis 14, 18, and 19, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So, again, but I can guarantee you what he was doing was not saying, Hey, boy, let's get drunk. No, he was saying, I just want to honor you with this. I mean, it was, it was the fruit of the ground. It was, it, was, it was an offering that was made. It wasn't a party. Versus... Abraham, I mean, versus Noah. Noah wasn't Noah wasn't uh, making a little offering to the Lord. Noah was like, "Hey, I got all this wine. I'm just gonna get drunk." Because that's what he did. I don't know if he said it like that, but that's exactly what he did. He was stinking drunk. He didn't know he didn't know when Ham come in or when Ham went out. So I know Noah was not a willing participant in whatever took place in the tent because he was he was out naked in the tent. All right. So, again, what have we learned through verse 1? Alcohol ain't your friend. Alcohol ain't going to help you. Alcohol is going to be your downfall if you're full with alcohol. Verse 2, got to hurry. The fear of the king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. Now, we've already seen this first part uh, back in chapter 19, verse 12. It's identical to that verse where it says the fear of the king is as the roaring of the lion. And it reminds us that those in power and leadership, they have potential for, 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 for great power and a great display of wrath if they want to because they're in charge. And we need to keep that in mind uh, because, again, even if, if, if it's a terrible, feral government, they can turn on you and they can do all kinds of things if they decide to. Uh, you know, again, whether it be a king, somebody speaking to a king or somebody uh, do, saying or doing the wrong thing and, in a bad governmental situation, it could be the end of you. Um, that happens a lot in this country. People don't realize how many people disappear and get unalive because they said the wrong thing. But it happens. Um, the second half of that verse says, Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. I mean, again, this is this is not anything complicated. You make the king mad, you love to be in trouble. Uh, you know, because the king held the power of life and death over his subjects. So you provoke him to anger, you're endangering your life. And you know what that tells me about, you know what I get from this verse? I get from this verse, I'm glad that my king is not like that. Amen? I'm glad that I don't have to fear my king chopping my head off. I'm glad I'm glad that my king is not going uh, to get angry and annihilate me. Amen? I'm thankful that my king of kings is rich in mercy. I'm thankful that he's slow to anger. Amen? I'm thankful that he's that way, that he's full of mercy. Praise God. Um, let's look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. It's an honor for a man to cease from strife. I guess a lot of men feel that their honor drives them to bow up at somebody and get in a fight with somebody, you know. Makes them feel good, swell up and show out. But that ain't how it really should be. And this proverb reminds us that oftentimes it's more honorable for a man to stop the striving than to get into it and stir it up further. I mean, really, being a man is more about controlling yourself than it is losing control of yourself. I mean, I think most people realize that, except those who tend to lose control real easy. But, uh, you know, to hold back rather than stirring the pot 
to be proactive in promoting peace and seeking reconciliation. You think back, I think back to when Abram and Lot, they were, they were traveling trying to find a place for themselves and, and, uh, Abrams, Abrams Cowboys got in a fight with lots of Cowboys down at the watering hole, and they, they was in a fight over who was going to get this watering hole and whatever. And, and, and instead of them getting into a bigger fight, Abram, uh, you know, he said, hey, Lot, listen, you take, what, you take whichever side you want, and I'll take the other. He could have gotten an argument with him. He could have said, hey, I'm the oldest one here. Hey, you're my nephew. You're going to do what I say, boy. And, and then it had been back and forth. But no, he just said, listen, it'll be all right. You just take whichever way you want to go, and I'll go the other. That's really the best way. If you can, I mean, the Bible says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." And then we ought to always seek to try to try to resolve something without without it going and escalating any worse. Uh, but the Bible says, "But every fool will be meddling." So in a lot of cases, it, it takes a man of honor to step up and stop the fight. But a fool will start to fight back up, start the argument back up, and keep it going. That happens on the internet all the time. You know, people start to get into it. Somebody try to calm it down. With somebody else will pop in later and stir it back up. Uh, it shouldn't be that way, but that's that's the way foolish people act. And uh, a wise man is more concerned with bringing peace and trying to be right, but the fool can't keep his mouth sh- than trying. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. He's more worried about uh, bringing peace than trying to say, "Hey, look at me, I'm right," than having the last word. Let's just solve this problem. Let's don't let it get worse. Let's just pick, let's let's resolve this. So everybody go away peacefully. But you know that's what that's what a wise man will do. But the fool, you know, he can't wait for the wise man to shut his mouth so he can pop off again and again start the fight back up. Uh, a fool will be meddling, amen. And that's why he's a fool because that's what he does. That's why that's why a dog barks because he's a dog, and a fool meddles because he's a fool. Verse four. It says the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. A lazy man always finds some excuse not to get the work done. And it's always either too early in the season or too late in the season to get started. You know, you know, in a sluggard's mind, it's always winter and the ground's too hard to plow and ain't nothing I can do about it. And, and any, any excuse is going to work when your heart's set on not working at all, but but with the Israelites, the right time for them to plow was and, and plant was in the rainy season. Uh, Genesis eight twenty two, the Bible tells us, for the earth while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Well, we know when harvest is. Harvest is in summer. So when is seed time? When will plant seeds? You plant seeds early in spring when when it's still cold outside and it's been raining and everything else. That's the time to plant. And again, it's cold, wet, and unpleasant time to be doing things. And probably because it's miserable to go outside, that's that's a, the sluggard's excuse. He said, "I don't want to go out there in that mess. Man, it's it's cold out there. I, I'd, I'd get cold if I went outside. And uh, you know, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'm I'd be uncomfortable. So." Again, winter starts the Israeli raining season from mid-October until April. So, and you can't sow seed unless you plow the ground. So, the farmer waits for the first rains in the in in the fall to soften the ground where he can start breaking it up and then plant the seed. But the sluggard he he lacks the initiative to get out there and plow, you know, in the winter. So that's the only time that matters. So if he misses his window, well, he's in trouble. And Spurgeon said it this way. He said, "He said, suppose it were not cold. Do you know what he would say? I cannot plow. My, the perspiration runs down my cheeks. You wouldn't have me plow in this hot weather, would you? Supposing it were neither hot nor cold. Why? Then he would say, I believe that it rained. And if it didn't rain, he would say, the ground is too dry. For a bad excuse he holds is better than none. And therefore, he will keep on making excuses to the end of the chapter. Anything will he do rather than go and do the work he don't want to do, and that is plow it. Again, it's like a man years ago, I, somebody said to me, said, said he man told a guy, said, I can't, come to, I can't come to church tomorrow. I got a quarter of milk refrigerator. And he said, what does that got to do with anything? He said, well, one excuse is good as another, ain't it? I mean, I guess so. If you if you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. Well, amen. And so the Bible tells us, therefore shall he beg and harvest, 
and have nothing. So when everybody else is bringing in their crops, when everybody else has got their food, they're going to put away and, and carry them through the year. What? He ain't got nothing. Why? Because he didn't sow no seed because it was too hot or too cold or too wet, too dry. Couldn't do nothing. So what's he going to he, he He's going to work after all. Sort of. He's going to do the work of begging. That's his job. He didn't earn anything from the work of his hands, so he's going to have to beg during the harvest when everybody else is bringing in the labor of their hands. And everybody's bringing in the labor of their hands, and they got out the fields, and they, they got scratched up with briars, and they pulled the, the thorns up and everything else, and they've done all the hard work to sweat it and dealt with the bugs and the thorns and the thistles and the hot sun, everything they had to deal with in the cold rain. Now they're bringing in their labor, and they see him standing there begging, please let me have a bite of man something to eat. There may not be nobody to give him nothing. Because everybody may look at him and say, I remember when you was laid up in the bed and we was all plowing. No. Hard to feel sorry for a fool. It really is, because he brought it all on himself. It's one thing to feel sorry for somebody fell on hard times. They had, nothing, they had nothing to do with it. They lost everything. Maybe the barn caught on fire and burned up everything they had. Yeah, community rally around and take care of them. But when somebody does their self in on purpose, it's hard to it's hard to get a charity together around that. Amen. Again, somebody's somebody you know you think about it. Somebody's dying and they got some disease or something, and people trying to raise money to help their family out. People are gathered together and help. But if somebody kills herself with with alcohol or drugs, it's hard to get people involved to raise any money for that. It's like you did it to yourself. First five counsel. In the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. <clears throat> Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. See, wisdom may lie within the heart of a man or a woman and not be immediately obvious. Some people, you don't know they're wise at first. They may have a hidden supply of wisdom, and it may be ready when it's needed. But the metaphor here is of a well whose waters are way down below the surface, way down below the ground. So you had to use a bucket and a real long rope to get down there to draw water and pull it back up to the surface. So, again, we're, we're looking at surface, person on the surface versus down deep, what they are. That's the picture here, right? So we learn that a person's real motives are deep. And they're difficult to get to, find out what somebody's really all about. So we have to be careful with the outward appearance of other people. When you when you get to know somebody, you don't know if they're, they're just showing you what you want to see or, and they're out to, to harm you or do something in your life that's just unpleasant, or if they're really being genuine and being honest with you and showing you their true self. It takes a little while, and if you're not very wise, you can be fooled by somebody pretty easy. The second half of that verse says that a man of understanding will draw it out. Wisdom not only knows how to get and to have wisdom, but it also knows how to use that wisdom. And the wise man, the man of understanding, when he gets around somebody he's not sure of, that person knows how to use their wisdom and and, 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 and draw what they're trying to get out of that person by by asking asking them important questions, having a meaningful conversation with them, and diligent observation of their responses and their actions. People that are wise are able to discern by that the motives of another person's heart. If you're careful in talking to somebody, you can see who's a real person and who's a fake pretty quick. And that's important because if not, somebody can use you and take advantage of you. <clears throat> Amen. God don't want us to use and take advantage of. That's why he tells us that. Verse 6, it says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Well, you know, it, it's true. Everybody kind of feels pretty good in their own eyes. I think that's true pretty much all the way across the board, most people anyway. I, I, I mean, I... I figure there's some of us who pretty much know what we are and ain't got that great a high opinion of ourselves because we know the real us. But sometimes people get this idea, oh, I'm a pretty good person, you know. A lot of people feel that way. And and, and some people are, are so happy about it that they like to brag about it and tell everybody what a good person they are. 
and want everybody to know I'm a good person. I'm a good person, Miss Joanne. You know, people think I'm a good person. Did you know that? People tell me that all the time. People tell me how good of a person I am. I keep saying somebody like this. I just want to go, you ain't that good. <laughs> you're not near as good as you think you are. God thinks you're wretched, amen, without the blood of Jesus. But, uh, you know, but it's true. People, There's lots of people like that. They just love to tell people how good they are. You know, you see professional athletes get on TV. And I remember, I mean, when I was a kid, Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest of all time. I'm pretty. I float like a butterfly. Say, you know, all that nonsense he's come out with, you know. And then you got football players who talk about, you know, they're the greatest running back or I'm the greatest wide receiver or I'm the greatest quarterback or whatever or I'm the greatest basketball player or whatever. They they get on there and brag about how I'm better than so-and-so. I saw people the other night, uh, a football player, talking about another football player was trash. Called him garbage on national TV, and I thought, Boy, you must think you're something to call somebody else garbage. You went through a whole process and got on the national stage, but yet they're garbage. Uh, you know, again, people have too high of an opinion of themselves. Politicians. Hey, you talking to politicians, they ain't never done a bad thing in their life. They ain't done nothing good. Oh, look at all the things I've done. Look at all look at look at look at look at my record. Look at all I've done. I mean, they're just brag, brag, brag. And you know, they'll lie to you all day, claiming they're better than they truly are. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But the Bible says, but a faithful man, who can find? Genuine faithfulness in a man is different than self-advertised goodness. A man doesn't want or need to proclaim his own goodness. He don't want to go around bragging, oh, I'm a good guy. No, he don't want that. Just a quiet satisfaction of himself being faithful to God and honest with men around him is enough. Don't need nobody else's validation. Just just knowing that things are right between him and God. You know, there's a verse in there that says, "When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him." Really and truly, just as long as we please in God, it really doesn't make a difference what anybody else thinks. But 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 praise God to be faithful. To be faithful, it gives you a satisfaction you can't find nowhere else. And how do you, how do you find it? You look at yourself in the mirror of God's word. Am I faithful? Am I faithful? You look in the Word of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God will show you if you're not. The Spirit of God will show you that you're not faithful to God. If you read the Word of God, it'll show you where you're not. Does your neighbor or does your friends think that you're a faithful friend? I mean, if you got friends, do they think you're faithful to them? I mean, do they say, well, that's someone I could count on? Well, that's the way it ought to be. People ought to say that about us. Do, do you do you often say what you know people want to hear versus what is true? Are you an ear tickler? You just tell people what they want to hear, whatever, just to keep them happy, or do you tell the truth? A true friend will tell the truth. A true friend won't lie to make people happy on the surface. Never underestimate the importance of having moral integrity. A faithful man who can find. Verse seven, our last verse. We almost done. The just man walketh in his integrity. Again, what are we talking about? We're talking about life and conduct. All these verses are relating to the way we conduct ourselves. A just man walketh in his integrity. So a just man, that's a man that's righteous. How is he righteous? He's righteous not because of anything he's ever done, but he's righteous because he's come as a sinner before before righteous and holy God. And he's, he's thrown himself on the mercy of God, and he's received the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be applied to his account, wash his sins away, and make him whole, make him new, a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's the only way a person is, is, is right, the only way a person is just. And that person, for them, living upright before God, upright living in integrity, it ain't just something you talk about. It's something you live at. You know, anybody can talk a good talk. But a just man, he, he walks in it. He lives it. It walks in shoe leather. You can look at a, a person who's, who's, who's walking with God and say, that's, that's a good man right there. That's a good woman right there. How come you see it? It reflects in their attitude. It reflects in their words. They live it out. They put on Christ, and they wear him everywhere they go. That kind of person. Listen, the Bible said his children are blessed after him. The greatest gift that a parent can give to a child is for that parent to be a righteous, 
upright person who walks in their integrity. That creates a home and an atmosphere that will be a blessing to that child. I'm going to close with this statement. There's too many parents who make the mistake of trying to give their children everything they want and starve them of the one thing that they truly need. And that's a good example. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. If you tuned in and listened to us tonight, we're glad you did, and we hope that you'll come and visit with us in person. We'd love to to shake your hand and make you feel welcome. But uh, you can find us at, at, what is this, 202? It's 404, isn't it? What is it? I don't never I don't never look at address up. Three oh three, right? Okay. Three oh three Short Street, Clarksville, Texas. I know where I'm at, I just didn't know the address. But uh <laughs> anyway. Well we'd be glad to have you. I'll know where I'm at by the time you get here. Anyway, God bless y'all. Glad y'all came to church tonight. And uh, any word from anybody before we dismiss tonight? Amen. Listen, ain't a spot on the or stain on the on the slate of tomorrow. So let's just go live it for God. And let's ask God to give us power and give us victory. And uh, again, these days we're living in, these times, get, these times are getting worse and worse and worse, and it's going to continue until the Lord comes. And uh, we need to be praying hard for our nation, and praying hard. It's, it's, it's chaos. Pray hard that God will intervene on our behalf. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's ask God to dismiss us. Richard, dismiss us. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.